1: Hey, friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Trump. Let's do it now.
2: Giving you everything
3: you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey,
1: uh, I'm not free for lunch on Monday. Uh, how about Thursday? Uh, that's what Christine Ford tells the Senate Judiciary Committee. And why not Thursday? Thursday's a good day. Yeah, Monday's rotten days. Hello, everybody. We'll see how that shakes out. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Monday. Yeah, I know uh, a rare. No, it's not a Monday. It's Friday. God, I day don't long. know what day it is. Uh, Well, you know, you work Fridays so rarely. That's right. I don't work Fridays usually, so, you know, here we are. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what day of the week it is. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, uh, the back and forth over whether or not she will testify, what day she might testify, uh, continues uh, with the back and forth. And now it looks like it's not going to be Monday. It could be Thursday. Well, we may know before the end of the show, and we'll let you know what we know. Uh, Meanwhile, Donald Trump out in Las Vegas, just proving at a big rally last night that he still doesn't get it at all. He wants to know, why didn't she just call the FBI? Yeah, she was 15 years old, Donald Trump. uh, She didn't call the FBI, maybe for the same reason that 20 people that you allegedly assaulted, sexually assaulted, did not call the FBI. And you ended up bragging about it. Oh, we'll get into that and a whole lot more with all the news of the day, including some big news about Michael Cohen and Robert Mueller. Are they new best buds? We'll find out. Send us your comments on Twitter. We want to hear from you, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first...
3: This is the Full Court Press.
4: Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. This is a remarkable thing to say, but the Cleveland Browns have won an NFL football game.
1: Unbelievable.
4: They have not won a game since December 24th 2016. Get out of here. 635 days and 19 straight games since they had a win, but no. they did it last night. They beat the New York Jets in Cleveland behind the number one draft pick, Baker Mayfield. Again, we I don't didn't
1: realize it was that bad. Wait it minute, was they that
4: went, bad. They, they didn't went, win a game all of last season. The entire season? The entire season. It was December 24th, the Christmas Eve game, that they had a... A win. That was the last time. By the way, Bud Light. Come? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, you know, they they still I mean I know run? a couple of Cleveland Brown fans, right? And they're just they they, they almost love the <laughs> suffering, right? They love to talk about how bad their team is. But they actually feel like maybe things are starting to turn around because they got this new really good quarterback. He won the Heisman trophy. Uh he was the number one draft pick. Not only did they win, a couple of months ago Several months ago, in fact, Bud Light put fridges all around the town called uh, the uh, the Bud Light um, uh, Victory Fridge. And it was set that when they won a game, Bud Light would automatically unlock the refrigerators and people could go get all the free beer that they could handle after the Cleveland Browns won a game. Well, last night they won. People flocked to get their free Bud Light. And there was uh, much celebrating last night in Cleveland good for them. Yeah, you know, it's always nice to root for them. Uh, By the way, uh, don't do this. In West Palm Beach, Florida, there is a bit of a uh, scandal brewing because there is a man who likes to do his yard work completely nude. And his neighbors are very upset and they called the police. The police said we can't do anything about it because he's on his property, even though the whole neighborhood can see him. The kids in the neighborhood can see him. One guy says he came to take the trash out and the guy was over winding up I hate to I hate to say this phrase but his the hose? guy said, quote, he was winding up his hose.
1: Yes. Right. Because
4: he was watering the plants. <laughs> uh but the police said, Yeah, we we can't do anything about this. But the guy's a nudist, he likes doing his yard work naked.
1: I think they could do something about it, but at any rate, there's no better way to do gardening than do it naked. There you, I go. Mean, you really want to identify with nature? <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. One year later and thousands and thousands and thousands of Puerto Ricans still live in ruined homes or don't have any home at all. Yeah, but Donald Trump says give me an A plus for Puerto Rico. Hey, what do you say everybody? Here we go on a Friday. Happy Friday. It is uh, there's no such thing as a bad Friday. Friday, September 21. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is The Bill Press Show, and we are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., that is, last time I checked, reaching out to you all across this great land of ours, wherever you happen to be uh, watching online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, or joining us on the great free speech TV, listening on the radio out in Indiana statewide on Indiana Talks, or here, uh, everywhere in this great land of our I mean, I'm sorry, out in the greater Chicago area, that is, on WCPT, the progressive voice of the Chicago area. Good to have you with us and lots and lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, we also have a great lineup of guests, Joe Sirincioni our foreign policy guru from the Plowshares Fund will be along with us to talk about uh, the latest interesting developments uh, between North Korea and South Korea, what it all means, that and some other important foreign policy news, Evan mcmorris Santoro, whom you know well from Vice News, has his own podcast and also uh, a frequent guest and guest host here on the Bill Press Show. We'll be here as a friend of Bill for the next hour, joined by uh, ethics expert Melanie Sloan, who was a powerful op-ed yesterday in the Washington Post. She herself a victim of sexual harassment in the United States Congress uh, and her reflections on the Brett Kavanaugh case and the testimony of Dr. Christine Ford. So all of that coming up and the big stories, of course, uh, continuing uh, debate and negotiations over uh, Dr. Ford's appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, we have heard from an unusual voice uh, encouraging the Republicans to stand up and support Accused sexual assaulter Brett Kavanaugh, that voice being Roy Moore from Alabama. Yes, believe it or not. And more news that should trouble Donald Trump, which is that it turns out Michael Cohen has spent hours, his former personal attorney, has spent hours and hours talking to special counsel Robert Mueller about everything, including... Anything he knew about connections with Russians, between Russians and Donald Trump. Yes, indeed. So we start with the Kavanaugh, the latest. When we left yesterday, the latest was the Republicans had laid down the law, and they said it is all or nothing. Monday's the day we're going to have a hearing. You show up Monday, or else we don't want to see you at all. We don't want to hear from you at all. Uh, Monday's it. Uh, and if you show fine, if you don't fine, we're just going to go ahead anyway, because we can't delay any longer, any longer. Uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York yesterday, I thought, but but label that exactly what it is. Again, this is the way Republicans believe men should treat women. You give them an order, you give them an ultimatum, and they obey it, they, they, they obey it or else. They're giving her an option. The option is Show
2: up Monday or don't show up at all. Mm-hmm. I, I consider that to be bullying. Mm-hmm. I consider that to be disregarding. I consider that to be something set up for failure.
1: It is bullying. It is. It absolutely, she's absolutely right. At any rate, that's where things were until uh, just late yesterday afternoon, at which time we heard from the attorney, Deborah Katz, the attorney for Dr. Christine Ford. Uh, and Attorney Katz said, uh, no, she's willing to testify. We'll testify next week. Someday. Uh, We can't do it Monday for whatever reasons. Monday doesn't work. Need more time. Whatever. Um, She floated the idea of maybe Thursday. She also repeated that Dr. Ford would like the FBI, as they did with Anita Hill, to investigate her allegations first. But she didn't say, if they don't, we won't show. She just said that would be their strong preference. Uh, And so that's where things rest today. And we'll find out whether or not Chuck Grassley and Republicans will go along with any other day than Monday. Brett Kavanaugh put out a statement saying, I'm going to show up on Monday. Uh, If nobody else shows up, I will be there on Monday. Uh, I I believe that the Republicans will have to, will have to bend and say, sure, Monday. uh, I mean, sure, Thursday will work. We'll be glad to see you Thursday. And by the way, pardon me, one other thing is that um, we talked about this as a possibility. And I suggested it as a possibility. uh, And now it looks like the Republicans are seriously considering this. Given the fact that there are 11 old white men among the Republicans who would be questioning this woman, has raised these charges, Uh, the Republicans are considering not having the senators ask the questions at all, but having an attorney, an outside attorney, who's an expert in this area, do the questioning, which I think would be a very smart thing to do for them and for the Democrats, frankly. Um, And they're thinking, the Republicans are thinking of having a woman be the attorney who would question uh, Dr. Ford. I think it would be a fair way to go. I think it would be a professional way to go. Uh, and it would save these senators from grandstanding and I think save some of the Republican senators from making total asses of themselves. Are you listening, Orrin Hatch? <laughs> Far be it
4: from us to give Republican senators some unsolicited uh, <laughs> advice, right? But
1: you're right. I, I, this to, is what they did in the Watergate hearings. Go back and yeah. look at the tape. Sam Dash, I think, was the counsel for the Democrats. Yeah. And he's the one who questioned the witnesses.
4: To, to think of, again, Orrin Hatch... Chuck Grassley, all these old white guys answer, uh, uh, asking questions of her uh, gives me, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a little freaky to think about. And you also have to consider one of the things that she has asked, I mean, basically we've, we've seen like a week-long game of chicken, right? Yeah. I hate to, to yeah. take it to that level, but the Republicans have been all over the place, all over the place uh, in their defense of Brett Kavanaugh and how they're going to handle this. And she said, like, the whole time, this is what I'm willing to testify, but I'm not just going to do it on your terms completely. And one of the things that she said, apparently, is I'm not going to be there if he's in the room, which is a small, small ask. Like, that's something that should have never even been in the equation for the Republicans.
1: No, and originally they wanted the two of them to sit at the same table alongside of each other. Which is insane. Hey, you remember? You guys remember each yeah. other? You met at a party a yeah. while ago. Yeah, you just know yeah. each other, right? Oh God, insane, totally insane. Um, so here's here's. It comes back to this: What argument do the Republicans have for why it has to be Monday? Why it can't be Thursday? There is no argument whatsoever to, to make there. There is no way they can defend why it has to be Monday. There's no. You know, it's not a holy day. It's not a high. It's not a holiday. I mean, it's nothing. It's just the, the reason behind their rush, as we've said so many times, is they are rushing to get him through so that he can be sworn in before the term, next term of the court starts on October 1st. They are really rushing to get him through before the midterms of November 6th on November 6th because they know they could very well lose the Senate and therefore lose any chance of stacking the court with another extreme right winger. Uh, and so that's that's behind the rush. I think there's some, I was thinking, I think there's something else behind this rush, this undue haste, and that is they want to get him through and confirmed before some other woman comes forward, before something else comes forward, before more evidence comes forward. And maybe it's about this, or maybe it's about his gambling, or maybe it's about his his all the debts that he that he racked up, credit card debts. Uh, Sheldon Whitehouse suggested it might have been from a gambling edition, Senator from Rhode Island. So at any rate, it's this undue haste, and it has no basis whatsoever. There is certainly, certainly no difference between Monday and Thursday when it comes to doing it right. You know, the Constitution says they have a duty to advise and consent on Senate, Supreme Court nominations. It doesn't say they have to do it fast. It doesn't say they have to do it in a hurry. It says... They're supposed to get it right, not get it first. To use the uh, what they what they say about the the responsibility of the media, um, and there are a couple of other voices. So th- I I believe at this point they have to go for Thursday. It will be Thursday, uh, and meanwhile they are getting some advice from some one 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 person who knows something about sexual assault, sexual harassment. Can you believe it, Roy Moore? Yep, Roy Moore. Not only sexual rights, but with teenagers. The pedophile, remember, who was banned from the mall down in Alabama because he was out there cruising and preying on young women. Roy Moore said yesterday, the Senate has to stand up, take a stand, and defend Brett Kavanaugh. It's about time, he said. I, you know, defend I, Brett Kavanaugh. I, I, Thank you, Roy Moore. I, yeah, boy, we, we turn to <laughs> you for advice from the expert on sexual assault.
4: I, I hate to say it's easy to forget this, but it— it's kind of easy to forget that the president, Donald Trump, supported Roy Moore even after even after multiple claims of pedophilia came out against Roy Moore. Of
1: course he did. He's Donald Trump. Yeah, that is a record. And plenty of
4: Republicans also stood by Roy Moore too.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, he's not the only one a voice who has come out yesterday, um, according to the New York Times, the Republicans. Republicans are getting a lot of criticism for not doing, for not already having confirmed Brett Kavanaugh, for dragging their heels on Brett Kavanaugh. They're getting criticism from the evangelicals, from Franklin Graham and Ralph Reed, who's spoken out criticizing Republicans and saying, because you have been so unfair to Brett Kavanaugh, this may cost you the United States Senate. Now, I just want you to factor that. So here's, here's what Ralph Reed tells the New York Times this morning. One of the political costs of failing to confirm Brett Kavanaugh is likely the loss of the U.S. Senate. Republicans, in other words, he's saying evangelicals will stay home. Maybe if they because they didn't move fast enough, or certainly if they don't confirm him. Okay, now here's so here's what they're saying once again, just like these repu- these evangelicals flocked behind Donald Trump, and failed. To criticize Donald Trump or abandon him even when it came out, the Access Hollywood tape, and he's bragging about grabbing women by the generals after 20 women have accused him of sexual assault. They stood by Donald Trump. Why? Because the only thing they care about is abortion and same-sex marriage. All this other stuff doesn't matter. They are such freaking hypocrites. These are the Christians who say, we will support a sexual predator. We will support a criminal Victor, guilty of sexual assault, even though no court has found him guilty of sexual assault, but you know, there's plenty of evidence by his own words. I'm talking about Donald Trump now. We will support that person, <laughs> if that person, we don't care who he is or what he did, if that person will agree to oppose Roe v. Wade and overturn it. And that's they're making the same deal with um, Brett Kavanaugh. Faustian pact that they'll stick by Brett Kavanaugh no matter what, no matter what the accusations are. Christine Ford could prove without a reasonable doubt at all that Brett Kavanaugh did what she says he did and Ralph Reed and Franklin Graham would stand by him because on the court he would be a vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. So this thing is really getting messy. By the way, Um, I think the American people are catching on. NBC News did a... uh, poll yesterday saying, what do you think about this guy, Brett Kavanaugh? 38% of Americans oppose his nomination. 34% support his nomination. So the American people already know this guy. And by the way, that is the lowest rating any Supreme Court nominee since they've been taking these kind of polls, by Even like Robert Bork. By a lot, by the way. By a, by lot. a lot.
4: Like, normally, they I, I read yeah. this story, and they were saying normally people don't have much of an opinion. They don't in know terms who of, it is. They, they, they
1: don't pay that much attention to it.
4: Right. Yeah. I mean, they assume, like, if it's a Republican president, they're going to nominate someone who's conservative. Or if it's a Democrat, they're going to nominate someone who's who's a little more progressive. But, like, they, most of the time, people don't really have that strong of an opinion mm-hmm. on the Supreme mm-hmm. Court justice as a whole, Right. Right. And for him to be that low, that should, that, I mean, well, I mean, 38 percent, that's, you know, Donald Trump's base. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, that should be a warning sign yeah. to Republicans. No,
1: that's kind of where it is. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Uh, the Speaking of the president, he was out in Las Vegas last night. Um, this is a little unusual appearance in the sense that he was appearing in a state that he lost. Uh, he was appearing on behalf of a Republican senator who will soon no longer be a Republican senator. Um Jackie Rosen will be the next senator from Nevada, defeating the existing Dean Heller. Uh, but of course, Donald Trump um, gets in front of a crowd. There he goes. Uh, he has to first talk, in front of the crowd, the rally there, talk about uh, Judge Kavanaugh saying we're going to we're going to showing a little restraint here. Still, we're going to let it all play out.
3: So we'll let it play out, and I think everything's going to be just fine. This is a high quality. Person.
1: yeah we're gonna let it all play out then so on stage without leaving the stage basically it was so last night was a fox news event hundred percent yeah they maybe officially they didn't sponsor the rally but yeah it was a fox crowd and sitting off to the side of the stage is sean hannity so he just walks doesn't go to a tv studio doesn't go there he walks across the stage Sitting there, then with Sean Hannity in front of the same crowd, and does a uh, an interview with Sean Hannity. I, I made this comparison this morning. If you watch sporting events, right, like if you're watching basketball
4: or whatever, yeah. the, you'll you'll see these these guys play. And then there will be a sideline reporter who at halftime or after the game will walk up with their microphone and interview them right after the game, right? Yeah, right. And, and this is exactly what it was. He was waiting, just waiting for Trump to finish. And Trump like, finished.
1: Like on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. And
4: just walked over. Yeah. And just started again.
1: And it got off though a little, a little awkward because um, Donald Trump, the, ever the showman, uh, has to know which camera he's supposed to be looking at.
3: So we'll let it play out.
1: Oh. Well, Okay, then he goes to Sean Hannity. Here's how it opens. A little awkward again.
3: Uh, first, where's your camera? Tell right. me. Right here. Yeah, you can look right here. First, you can thank Laura Ingram, who's giving oh. us extra Hannity time tonight. Well, she's very special, and she's doing well. You know what? She's doing well. She's a big supporter of yours. Mm-hmm. God, God, gross. Yeah,
1: gross. Yeah. All right, thank you for uh, coming to your home base here, uh, Mr. President. Yeah, okay. What camera? What camera? What camera? Where am I looking, where, where am I looking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Do I have enough makeup on? Right. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, he talks about Kavanaugh and says, um, well, here, here's his. Now, just listen again for how totally out of touch this man is with reality. Just when it comes to women, he just doesn't get it.
3: I think it's a very sad situation. He's an outstanding person. And frankly, Sean, to see what's going on is is just very, very sad. You say, why didn't somebody call the FBI 36 years ago? I mean, you could also say, when did this all happen? What's going on? Uh, To take a man like this and be smirched. Now, with that being said, let her have her say, and let's see how it all works out. But I don't think Mm -hmm. you can delay it any longer.
1: Oh, yeah, can't delay it. Why didn't she call the FBI? Maybe because she was a 15-year-old girl, bozo. I mean, it's like saying, why didn't she call the attorney general at home? Why didn't she call the president of the United States at home? Why didn't she tell her parents? It's Good reason why she didn't tell her parents. Ask any 15-year-old girl. Uh, again, Donald Trump totally out of it. Yesterday... Uh, while he was out in Las Vegas, here in Washington, D.C., boy, the women turned out in great numbers yesterday in the Hart office building uh, protesting outside the offices of Republican senators who sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, Many of them were arrested. It was all very, very peaceful. Uh, They were just saying and they were chanting, you know, we believe the women. Senator Mazierona from Hawaii saying again uh, as a member of the committee uh, that uh, Christine, the committee was not treating Republicans, Chuck Grassley, were not treating Christine Ford fairly. As a member of the
4: Judiciary Committee, I've certainly had a lot to say about how Dr. Ford is being treated in this process. And uh, she's not being treated fairly. There's absolutely no question about
2: that.
1: And uh, Christine, Kirsten Gillibrand again raises a question she did yesterday, but she's on the scale. I think she's right. There was one other person in the room. Why don't they call that person as well?
2: Why not have Mark Judge testify under oath to the FBI and then in front of the committee? What are they afraid of? Ask the question, what are they afraid of? What is this White House afraid of? What is this president afraid of?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, have him in there. And, yeah, he's written a memoir remember he's written a memoir about all the drinking that he did particularly in high school uh and throughout the rest of his life his alcoholic addiction but starts there uh, in the memoir I haven't read the memoir but I've heard so much about it there are all kinds of talk about all the wild parties drink drunken drunken parties they had with teenagers and hanging out with a guy he identifies as Barto Cavanaugh this Duh. guy knows
4: this guy knows Brett Kavanaugh He knows who he is. He's known him since he was a kid. Uh, He knows what happened with this encounter.
1: Yeah, and he may not. He might have been so drunk he doesn't remember it. Uh, But he would be able to say, yeah, Kavanaugh and I did a lot of drinking together. Yes, we went to a lot of parties together. And yes, we could have been at that party together. I mean, under oath, he's got to say that.
4: And you have to remember that Brett Kavanaugh's official defense is, I was not at the party. I was not there. And so, again, I, it it sucks that we have to put it this way, but, like, this takes away from a he said, she said. Then you have sure. he said, she said, and Mark Judge, this guy, can at least put him at one of these parties.
1: Yeah, right. He could very well have been at that party. Uh, which raises a final point on this is that there's an excellent piece, and I must admit I hadn't heard anybody else make this argument today, but it's something to remember. Uh, and this woman, uh, the op-ed piece in the New York Times today is by Kate Shaw, professor at the Benjamin Cardozo School of Law and a director of the Florsheimer Center for Constitutional Democracy. And she makes the point that the burden of proof for the Senate Judiciary Committee is not the same as a court of law. They're not, they, they're not trying to convict Brett Kavanaugh of a crime. They don't have to prove that he did this beyond a reasonable doubt. But if there's enough evidence to suggest that this could very well have happened, that he might very well have done this as as a teenager, which Senator Susan Collins said would be disqualifying for the Supreme Court, then the Senate, again, under its responsibilities of, of advice and consent, would have to reject his nomination. Because the argument she makes is having a person with that cloud over his head on the court would really take away the legitimacy of the court or certainly erode the legitimacy of the court. So this idea that we have to have her come in for the committee and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this happened, no, no, no. That is not the standard. That is not the test for a congressional committee. I think it's an extremely important point. Uh, a couple of other items here before we take a break and uh, joined by our good friend Joe Ciancioni. Uh Florence, the death toll is still going on. Uh, death toll is now up to 41. This is and day
4: 13 of the state of emergency in North Carolina, really? yeah, yeah. which is insane.
1: And now North Carolina is subsiding a little bit, but the waters, uh, South Carolina now faces the gravest of threat, and the waters are still rising in South Carolina, talking about abandoning some whole communities there. Uh, meanwhile, um, <laughs> Donald Trump keeps talking about the wall. Why are we building the wall? What he means is they have these prototypes. Remember, he went down there to visit these prototypes and brag about all how, all, how great they were. Um, <clears throat> the Border Patrol yesterday had to admit that they got a lot of problems with their prototypes. Um, people have been able to break through them. They've been testing them. People have been able to just break through them. People have been able to climb over them and get over them. Um, well, so no, I am surprised. So are we so surprised? Yeah. <laughs> so now it's it looks like it's back to square one, on the prototypes. If we had said there ain't no wall so high, there ain't no wall that you can't go over it, or go under it, or go around it.
4: I thought we were going to have a wall on day one. <laughs> <laughs> Two years later,
1: it's going to be a beautiful wall. Too.
4: Big beautiful wall. Big. And you know who's
1: going to pay for it? Yeah, but yeah Mexico. Mexico. Right. Uh, and finally, just to know that uh, Michael Cohen. He has been meeting with the special counsel. Member, he made a deal with the attorneys up in New York where he admitted he pleaded guilty to eight counts, including paying off several women at the direction of Donald Trump and not reporting them as, as campaign expenses, which he was obliged to do. Um, he's also and part of that deal was that he would cooperate with a special counsel on his broad investigation into possible collusion and of justice on the part of the president of the United States. Um, Michael Cohen has already been talking to, the, to, to Robert Mueller. Um, we don't know what he said, but again, if anybody knows where the bodies are buried, it is Michael Cohen. Meanwhile, we lose track here, maybe some, some so tied into the Kavanaugh hearings and, and uh, other bits of news here from Washington, D.C., We lose track of what's happening around the world. Joe Sirinson is going to bring us up to date, including a historic three-day meeting just concluded between the president of South Korea and Chairman Kim Jong-un. It is The Bill Press Show on a Friday, September 21. Quick break. We'll be right back.
4: Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show.
1: And here we are on a Friday, September 21. Hello, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. It is the uh, Bill Press Show, a rare appearance by me on a Friday. But uh, <laughs> uh, I had to come in today because Joe Cerencioni was coming in. I I can't miss my Joe Sioni moment. It's and in my uh, contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No Bill, no Joe. That's <laughs> just how it goes. From the Plowshares Fund, of course. Joe, it's always great to see you. Uh, it's a pleasure, Bill. Thanks Thank for having me on. Thank you for coming in. The sure. last time we were together, we were with... Uh, Secretary Madeleine Albright oh, at our a little event night. at the Hill Center. She was really on fire. You packed
2: him in, standing room only for for you and and, and for and the talk. She's
1: talks. she's the one who packed them in, but she was uh, her new book, Fascism, uh, a, a very very important book, yeah. a real warning. Well she's, done, well written. And she says, if you are, are alarmed when you read this book, that's the point of the book, <laughs> right? Uh, she was right. careful to say she did not call Donald Trump a fascist, right? But she did say that he shows signs of. Fascism, yep. and there are many similarities between the way he approaches government and some of the people that she talks about Mussolini, <laughs> Erdogan. You yeah. know, go through the list. Trump is on the spectrum. Trump is on the spectrum, definitely. Right. You know, we uh, got started about a half an hour ago here, yeah. Joe. So um, people have been shouting out, speaking out. Peter?
4: Yes, indeed. A couple of comments. We'll start with Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, <laughs> What One person on Twitter says, why do the evangelicals support a sexual predator and a president who lies all the time? I thought you were there to support Jesus and not the Roman
1: Empire. Also, We know the answer to that question because yeah. they want to vote against Roe v. Wade on the Supreme Court and they want a president in the White House who will put people those kind of people on the court.
4: Uh, Joey says, it's time that we all get behind Judge Kavanaugh. <laughs> And then shove him the hell out of the way. <laughs> I really like that comment. Ba-boom. I really like that comment. And G Square says, uh, I'm not going to hold my breath for the GOP to hold a soul. It's time for Democrats to get tough on this. So if you have a comment, find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP
1: Show. And one other way that we want to get you involved in the uh, news of the day is go to our website, billpressshow.com. And click on the link to my new book, Trump Must Go The Top 100 Reasons to Dump Trump and One to Keep Him. And on that page, you can add your own reasons. Um, I put up a few of mine yesterday. I've been keeping a list since I turned the manuscript in, Joe, about other reasons that I didn't, that hadn't happened yet. So with Donald (laughs) Trump, it's like every day there'll be two or three, right? So you can add your reasons at uh, BillPressShow.com on our, on our website. Click on the link. That'll also tell you where you can get a uh, copy of the book and then go through my 100 and add your own. Uh, keep it keep it going. There's certainly a lot more than 100. So, Joe, I want to start with, um, before we get into some specific foreign mm-hmm. policy hotspots, just a general approach to... The world today and America's leadership role in the world such as it is. Here is um, Donald Trump Peter last night in Las Vegas at his rally and he's talking about his role as president of the United States.
3: The American people voted to reject this corrupt globalism. Hey, I'm (laughs) The President of the United States. I'm not the President of the Globe.
1: Hey, I'm the President of the United States. Now technically he's right, but that's a hey. that's a loaded <laughs> statement, isn't it?
2: It absolutely is. And you he he's reprising the, the 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 pitch he had at the United Nations last year. So every year in September the leaders of the world come. To the General Assembly of the United Nations and take the podium and give speeches. And last year, when he gave his, he said, "America first. I put America first, just as if he, all of you put your countries first, which is true in one sense. But you're at a place that was founded on the idea of international collaboration of people working together. So here he is again, you know, with this nationalist plea. So I, I you know, we we're for America, America above all, and it's it's. It, Number one, that is not the way American leadership w- works best in the world. We lead, but we lead a collection of nations, alliances of nations. And true, and, and two, uh, his the American position has declined precipitously under Donald Trump. Look, check any poll on what Ameri- what, um, how America stands in the world. Our closest allies disapprove of us. We're in the, the low teens in in most countries. Poland is the European country that likes us the most and even there it just bumps along in the, in the 50s so Donald Trump is presiding over a period of general american decline in the role in the in the world and the role of us leadership is
1: uh, is tattering and i mean he does see that um, i mean can you does he understand can you even exist on this planet today without having a global foreign policy? I
2: there, mean. there is no s- s- issue that a, a country can solve on their own, even one as powerful as the United States, whether it's climate change or the, the spread of nuclear weapons or dealing with pandemics or trade. You know, all these things require international cooperation, which is why the United States started the United Nations uh, s- s- over 70 years ago, for precisely that reason.
1: Right. Uh, and it's... it's. It, it, Behind this America First, which, as we've talked before, has certainly echoes of, um, yeah. of, of not a very proud time in in our, in our history. When America no, First was a, meant stay out of Europe and let Hitler do whatever he wants, we it was don't a, care. It was a Nazi support group started yeah. by yeah.
2: Charles Lindbergh in the 1930s.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So with echoes of that, I mean, it, it's, it's not only... What I see Donald Trump talking about it is, not only that we are the best and we're the first and we're the only ones we care about, but really denigrating yeah, the work of any other countries, especially the allies that that, that we've been partners with for the last 50, 60 years.
2: Yeah. I mean, it sort of takes his personal view of his relative role in, in in society, and, and what he thinks of his staff, what he thinks of his the people, what he thinks that he knows, uh, lesser human beings, and he just projects that on a global scale.
1: Right. So you mentioned the U.N. It's coming up, not yes. that far away. And next week. Appa- uh, apparently, it was as early as next week, he has uh, six different meetings. I'm not even sure what countries leaders he's meeting with that he's already scheduled uh, at the U.N. Do we expect to see just a reprise of last year with the same message?
2: Yes, but a different target. So he, he's he's going to go up there on the podium and uh, boast about his successes and about how strong America is. And his target last year was North Korea. Remember, yes. this is where you talk yes. about Rocket Man, right? And, right. Uh, so a suicide mission. Just, that was just a year ago. Just a year ago. Yeah. And he takes the podium on Tuesday of next week. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll actually be up there. Uh, I'm going for a meeting with the president of Iran, Mr. Rouhani, on on Monday, staying yeah. for these events. And the target this year is. So you'll be, be
1: the guy in the audience with the <laughs> with the protest sign. Yeah, that's right, Joe. <laughs> take
2: a copy of my book. That's right. Trump must go. Hold on, hold on. Trump must go. Reason one hundred and one. We'll get. That's <laughs> yes, right. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and he the the target this year is Iran. So he's going to blast Iran, and you've seen administration officials uh, b- b- building up a drumbeat this week. Several of them, uh, Secretary Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton, are going to be at an Iran hate group called United Against Nuclear Iran. They're going to be speaking there. I think Pompeo today is speaking at something called the Value Summit, and it's all about how terrible Iran is and how Iran must go. I mean, yeah, that, That's yeah. their message, and that's going to be the target. Uh, it's, it's reminiscent of the buildup to the war in Iraq, uh, many many years ago. Mm-hmm. It's following that playbook, uh, cherry picking intelligence, uh, threat inflation, making demands that the regime change its behavior or else. And uh, unfortunately, that's a message that doesn't have much appeal for the rest of the countries in the world. One short little example of that. Yeah, he was he's chairing a special meeting of the U.N. Security Council on Wednesday. And he was going to call it and focus it all on Iran. But what administration – after announcing that plan, after Nikki Haley, the UN ambassador, announced it, the administration realized they were going to be isolated because all our allies, the other permanent members of the Security Council, are, are still want to stay in the Iran deal that we left, are trying to keep that deal alive, and we, they were not going mm-hmm. to agree – to what Trump was saying, so they'd be isolated, and Iran would have the right under UN rules to be at the table and respond in kind. So this was gonna be a disaster, uh-huh. so they've yeah. switched plans, are gonna make it a more general UN Security Council.
1: Statement. So you mentioned Poland, uh, the President of Poland Tuesday was at the White House, and um, I, I did not go down for that uh, n- joint news conference, but uh. reporter friends of mine who were there, and we've all read about what happened, is the, the President of Poland seems to have uh, mastered the art of uh, appealing to Donald Trump (laughs) and getting on his good side (laughs) with flattery like we have never, never seen before, right? Uh, Including (laughs) having a new military base in Poland that they're going to call Fort Trump.
2: Yes. I heard you discussing this on your show. I thought it was dead on. I I do not know of any base in Europe (laughs) or anywhere that's called Fort Bush or Fort... Fort Reagan or Fort Nixon, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's out—it's outrageous, and it is, of course, you know, an autocratic leader's uh, appeal. This yeah. is the kind of thing sure. you want. Your name up on the building, here's your name on a fort. How do you like that?
1: Very Kim Jong-un-like. Here's the President Poland through the translator.
4: <laughs> I
1: was smiling when talking to President Trump, and I said, I would very much like to set up permanent American bases in Poland which we would call Fort Trump. And I firmly believe that this is possible. I am convinced. Hey! Pre- yeah. So, so, President Duda is the president of Poland, <laughs> up alongside of president dummy, uh, president of the United States. But he said he was smiling when he was talking to Trump. You, that's nothing compared to the smile on Trump's face when he said... Fort Trump.
3: Woo. No, somebody actually
1: put that, that uh, gif up
4: yesterday online. And how, as soon as he said Fort Trump, Trump pursed his lips and very happily you know, started smiling and shaking. He said, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's just, just a wonderful idea. Oh, hey. Yeah, he loves that idea.
1: But Poland is, I mean, in terms of the nationalist far right trend in Europe, right? Poland's Absolutely. gone all the way. Yeah.
2: yeah, not as far as Hungary, for example, or Orban, or, or not as far as, as mm-hmm. Turkey. But this is, again, this is a, a, a white nationalist party that uh, has taken control here. And you've seen many of the democratic uh, reforms that took place after the fall this, of the Soviet Union uh, pushed back.
1: Yeah. Joe Siriuszoni with us from the Ploughshares Fund, ploughshares.org. And again, I always remind you, it's P-L-O-U-G-H, plowshares.org. Ploughshares.org. So, Joe, um, we've almost forgotten about this, but a couple of weeks ago, there was an op-ed in the New York Times um, by a a mole Ah, inside the White House. uh, Described himself as part of the – or herself as part of the resistance inside the White House. Uh, Very critical of the president's some policies and saying that they felt their mission was to be there. It seems to be there's a group of them and to thwart anything that the President might do which they think is wrong, right, to prevent him basically from doing more damage. Yes. Paraphrasing, of course. But I'm getting to this point. When you read that letter, the letter was clearly written by a Republican, clearly written by somebody who agrees with some of the things that Donald Trump says, except when it comes to foreign policy and national security. So it looked like it was written not by somebody who works with him on the domestic side of issues, but somebody who works on the foreign policy, national security side. Yes. Who? <laughs> <laughs> who well, you know, are I, your uh, 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 chief suspects it, inside the White House? It, it, I, I, I don't see anybody
2: inside the White House that, I, that has a... a, a, a a recognizable highly recognizable name senior administration that. official but if you're talking about the cabinet level the best bet on that who that reflects that where it squares up the most yeah. here are the issues i care about here's my friend john mccain for example the only person right. mentioned is john mccain that would be dan dan Coates, former senator dan Coates. Who has expressed his differences uh, with the administration? Who certainly feels the way the author of that op-ed field, and and does I believe think of himself as um, a barrier to the, the 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 sabotage of American national security by the well, president? Well, Dan
1: Coates would certainly qualify as a senior administration official, director of national yeah. intelligence, absolutely, uh, yeah, cabinet level uh, position. Um, not John Bolton.
2: <laughs> not well you know that's an interesting phrase i mean john bolton is his own man um you know he sees himself as be beyond presidents but he has no reason to write a letter
1: like mm-hmm. that
2: to undermine the president and
1: not mike pompeo
2: and certainly not mike pompeo who has presidential ambitions of his own that would be completely torpedoed if he was exposed as the author of that letter
1: Presidential ambitions of his own have ever heard that said about Mike Pompeo. Are you kidding? Oh, this my guy God. is the
2: Frank Underwood of this administration. I mean, look at it. He's a he's like the House of Cards, an obscure yeah, right. congressman, Kansas, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Heads, becomes the head of the Intelligence Committee, becomes the director of the CIA, CIA and, now and less Secretary's, than a year later, he whoa. undermines the Secretary of State and becomes Secretary of State himself.
1: No, this so is a Mike, man. Mike Pence had better watch out, huh?
2: Mike Pence had better watch out. By I mean, the way,
1: Mike Pence. Author of the op-ed?
2: And the first one to say, I didn't do
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take a polygraph. (laughs) Again,
2: no motive there (laughs) for for, for Pence. I mean, if you really think that this is a person who genuinely cares about America's national security and genuinely sees Trump as a threat, uh, those others don't qualify. He's genuinely caring.
1: All right. Now, so what's going on with North Korea? So the president of South Korea goes up to North Korea. They went hiking together. They went up to the top of the mountain, the three-day summit there. And he says that, that uh, uh, Kim Jong-un has agreed to start dismantling his nukes, and he wants a second summit with President Trump.
2: There's something happening here. now. North, something good or something bad? Something good. And, and, and things are moving. And you know, North Korea, it, it's the easiest country in the world to make fun of. I mean they, they give sure they give us plenty yeah. of targets yeah. Right? right yeah and 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 th- and this summit and this whole process <laughs> has come under some withering criticism from from cynics on the left and the right uh, there's a there's a small army of of CIA agents now in, in think tanks in Washington as as North Korea experts and there's a whole lot of people on the on the left who, who hate Donald Trump and think that he's screwing this up royally and I, I get that I understand that um but here's, here's what happened. This was the third summit between these two leaders, yeah. uh, Moon Jae-in of South Korea and mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Only the third time any South Korean leader has visited the North. And it, it was completely different. The, this is the first time that North Korea has greeted the South Korean leader as an equal not as a US puppet. He was heralded, he was feted, he was sung to, he was brought to a stadium with 150,000 North Koreans, allowed to give a speech to all these North Koreans. The message of this whole uh, event was, as as they said, we have lived together on this peninsula for 5,000 years. For 70 years, we've been separated. Mm. We have to go forward together. So this powerful theme of unification really took hold. they 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 did did three important things at that. And by session. the way,
1: you know, other presidents haven't haven't been able to. Not that Donald Trump gets all the credit, but under other presidents, none of this has happened, right? I mean,
2: the so closest we came was Madeleine Albright. Speaking of Madeleine, when she went in ninety nine, she, yeah. she went to a similar stadium. Yeah, and and this we were really on the cusp of a breakthrough. And if mm-hmm. Al Gore had been elected, that would have followed through. If Colin Powell had been allowed to do what he did under George W. Bush when he was Secretary of State, we would have had that breakthrough. We blew that opening. Mm-hmm. This is way before they had nuclear weapons. We could have stopped right. the whole thing in its tracks. Okay. So th- we've been to this mountain before. Yeah. And Banana. So what they do is very significant for the Korean Peninsula. They took major steps to demilitarize the demilitarized zone. You know, uh-huh. that is actually a heavily fortified border, the 38th uh, parallel. And they made major agreements to pull troops back, to take guard towers down, to start taking some of the mines out. It's the last area in the world where the U.S. has has mines to set up uh, a, a permanent channels of communications. All kinds of tension reduction and confidence building measures were all listed. This is extremely important because for decades, the, the two sides have been stockpiling gasoline on the border, and every couple of months they throw matches at it, and this is where you've had the conflicts erupt yeah. repeatedly huh. that could lead to a, a war that could kill millions of Koreans. So this is good in and of itself. Okay, the, though they also coupled that with diplomatic and cultural uh, ties, setting up a permanent facility for families from North and South to reunify to meet, video channels for the very popular in the South. Yeah, the, the, this kind huh. of thing, uh, economic ties are deepening, which, by the way, might undercut uh, sanctions, a bid to co-host, jointly host the 2032 the Olympics. Olympics. Huh? So, yeah. all kinds of things that were inconceivable a year ago are now coming, all these ties. The the last point is on the nuclear, which they're not, it's not really their portfolio. I mean, this is a, a U.S.-North Korea agenda item, Correct, but it's it's but- stalled. And Moon and Kim are trying to jumpstart it, and Kim made some very interesting offers there, including, most importantly, the offer to completely shut down the uranium and plutonium production facilities at Yongbyon, which is their main area where they make the stuff of the bombs. Okay. And it's the one area that hasn't been covered by any nuclear... Test freeze or missile test. Freeze. was there
1: any agreement to to dismantle some of the existing nukes or a, destroy some n- of the existing nukes?
2: No, which is the kind of thing most observers in the United States want, but that's the kind of thing that Kim would only do to the with the president with the president to say, okay, here's heres and that's what Bolton wants. Bolton's demand is that North Korea completely disarm within a year. Uh, Pompeo's got a slightly softer approach. He says you have to dis- dismantle 70% of your weapons within two years, that is, in time for the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And so, the, of course, no leader in their right mind is going to do this, give up your weapons, having seen what happens to Libya and Iraq and what happened right. to the Iran deal. So the, U- it's, the ball is really in the U.S. court. Can Can Trump come back with a corresponding— What do
1: they want from us— in order to make that pledge,
2: it's actually so easy that people distrust what they want. What they want is a peace declaration. They want a declared end to, to the, the Korean, Korean War, War.
1: This, this which, co- believe it or not, is still technically in existence. Right.
2: right? We, have, it's, we have a truce yeah. since '53. A truce. And they want to show that this is—they consider this a a demonstration of U.S. not— Isn't
1: that a meaningless piece of paper? Not to
2: them. This is an indication of good faith, of our intentions, of where we want to go, that we want to end this. And critics fear that this could lead to demands to pull U.S. troops off the Korean Peninsula. We have about Mm -hmm. 28,000 troops. But there's nothing necessarily that follows from that. In fact, there are indications that North Korea would like the U.S. troops to stay. That the Kim wants us as a counterweight to China, which is the country that has historically dominated the Korean people and the Korean peninsula.
1: Is, is China playing any role in these talks? Are they supportive? Are they skeptical? Or Because I originally remember Donald Trump said, don't worry about North Korea. China's uh, going to take care of it for yeah.
2: us. But what, they, what he meant was China was going to bring the hammer down and get rid yeah. of this pesky regime. Well, no, that's not what China's going to do. <clears throat> they have no interest in getting rid of this regime. I think this is going along very nicely for China. I think this is they're, they're probably the third most important actor here. I would say Trump is the, the fourth and least important actor so far. This is one of the consequences of America's role in the world declining, is that our allies and our adversaries aren't waiting for a bumbling administration to get its act together and decide what its policy is. They're moving ahead. They are creating facts on the ground. And uh, you see uh, there's, there's a small number of people who think, like I do, that this is really moving things forward and it's making it almost impossible to get back to this maximum pressure campaign of sanctions and threats that would somehow force North Korea to capitulate. Kim has wiggled out of that.
1: Well, it's sort of like in, in, on some other issues, um, like climate change, for example. Uh, Jerry Brown had his summit last week. All these governors were there and, and leaders of foreign countries. If the, the Trump administration is not going to do it, they're saying, we'll do it ourselves. Jerry that's, Brown says, I'll launch my own damn satellite, right? That,
2: that's exactly
1: right. And, and so if that happens there, that's good. If that happens on the Korean Peninsula this way, that's good too, right? And you see
2: governments, in this case it was state. And local governments from around yeah. the world. Yes, they yes. are doing it. You see, philanthropy stepping up. They they pledged four billion dollars over the next ten years to climate change. And by the way, if you're listening, could I have a little just a
1: yeah. little take, get my beak wet? <laughs> Plowshare fun. Plowshare, Jerry. Plowshare fun. <laughs> Jerry,
2: what are you doing, man? <laughs> so, uh, so and so, people taking action in their own hands. It's very, very interesting what's happening. The the leader of the free world isn't leading so much.
1: This this is one area where Donald Trump uh, could chalk up a success, and we'd have to accept it, right?
2: It'd be good for us to support Trump in this effort and and make it happen, overcome Trump and Pompeo's objections.
1: All right. There we go. Joe Simonsoni from the Plowshares on Plowshares.org. Joseph, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Have a great weekend. All right. We'll see you again soon. When we come back, Evan McMorris Santoro joins us as a friend of Bill. Oh, boy. We're going to get a lot this of fun. This is The Bill Press Show.
3: Fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Hey, I'm uh, busy on Monday. Can we have lunch on Thursday? Uh, that's kind of the word from Dr. Christine Ford to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Hello, hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Friday, Friday, September 21. Yes, this is The uh, Bill Press Show. Even though you're not used to seeing me on a Friday, here we are. Don't ask me why, but anyhow. Uh, It's good to be here, don't get me wrong. Uh, And we got certainly lots to talk about the back and forth on when exactly the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to uh, meet to hear the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, Still goes on, those negotiations, but... um, It looks like the Senate, uh, their their attempt to force a hearing on Friday is not going to work. It could be delayed a couple of days, BFD, maybe until Thursday. But the other um, non-negotiable request or demand by Dr. Ford is that she does not want to testify with Brett Kavanaugh sitting alongside of her. She doesn't want to testify with Dr. Kavanaugh sitting in the same room even uh, and I don't blame her. Uh, I think that would be very awkward, very unfair, and just a way of further bullying her, which they've already done a lot of. At any rate, that is our still number one story of the day. We'll be talking about that with a good friend, Evan McMorris Santoro, as a friend to Bill. And then we'll be joined by Melanie Sloan, who has a powerful op-ed in The Washington Post yesterday about her own experience as a victim of sexual harassment by a senior member of the United States Congress. Uh, and she can answer that question, well, why didn't you go immediately to the FBI, and why didn't this 15-year-old girl by the name of Christine Ford immediately go to the FBI, as Donald Trump suggested last night or accused her of not doing? We will uh, get look forward to your calls, uh, your, your calls, your comments, on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll jump right into the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple
4: of other stories making news. Yes. Bill, do you like mayonnaise?
1: Uh, I don't mind mayonnaise. Carol makes a killer mayonnaise. Really? She, yes, yeah. I, I like a good have, mayonnaise. I never have store-bought mayonnaise because she makes such good mayonnaise.
4: I actually, Duke's mayonnaise is is delicious and better than any Duke's mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Duke's mayonnaise is uh, wonderful. But do you like ketchup?
1: Nah, I'm a mustard guy. Do you like
4: mayo chop? I don't know what that is. All right. It's a combination of mayonnaise and ketchup, which a lot of people like. I've heard it called fry sauce before. Ray says that, and I've heard this before as well, fancy sauce. Some people call it fancy sauce. It's a mix of ketchup and mayonnaise. No, one or the other. Well, it, apparently some people like it because Heinz has announced that they are going to start selling mayo chop in the no. United States this month. Mayo yeah. chup?
1: Mayo chup. It's a they combination. They also ought to get a better name for it.
4: I've always called it. (laughs) Caches. Caches. That sounds like a horrible disease. I don't think I like Caches. I don't like
1: mayo chub either. Mayo chub doesn't sound like something I want to eat.
4: I think the winner, my favorite name, is Fancy Sauce. I think Fancy Sauce is what it should be called. Uh, But they're banking on people liking it so much, they're going to start selling uh, bottles. A 16-and-a-half-ounce squeeze bottle will sell for the low, low price of $3.49. I thought Mick Morrison was here. What would you put mayo chop on? Uh, uh,
0: nothing, probably. But th- my question is, do you think it's more money than buying just ketchup and say, just mayonnaise? <laughs>
4: right, I was going to say. it's as easy to do, guys. <laughs> this is not hard.
0: Remember when they did this thing with they, they put the peanut butter and the jelly in the in, in the single jar? <laughs> you're not going to yeah. get a great version of either of those things. Yeah, right.
1: right. I think you're right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I do not like. I do not like... Ketchup with french fries.
4: I'm a mayonnaise with french fries guy.
1: What do you do your french fries with, Bill? Vinegar and salt. All right. That's, oh, that's, well, that's good
4: too. Yeah, yeah, That's, that's, a, that's, that's absolutely that's cool. acceptable.
1: That's yeah, very, very that's good. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: But not mayo chop.
1: Not mayo chop. Have
4: no. you, tra- you should try it. You should just give no, it a No, I'm shot. not going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> not even going to keep it on my mind. That's fine. That's fine. Well, if you want it, you can buy it later this month.
1: This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, uh, I can't make it Monday. How about Thursday? Yeah, you know, most of us would say, sure, why not? Ah, Chuck Grassley might not say that with Christine Ford. No, it's got to be Monday,
3: Monday, Monday, Monday,
1: Monday. What do you say, everybody? The battle goes on. It is the Bill Press Show here on a Friday, Friday, September 21. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us uh, as we come to you live. Coast to coast uh, on every platform that we can find. We're joining you online on YouTube, youtubecom the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on free speech TV nationwide and also, pardon me, out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT. Good to see all of you out there in Chicago today and great to welcome to the studio uh, as a friend of Bill, uh, one of our favorites. From Vice News, Evan McMorris Santoro, who also has his own show on Vice News at seven thirty p.m. No, on HBO. Sorry, that's right. Every night, uh, right. seven thirty. Um, it's not my own show. I share it with other people. Oh, um, I should sort of,
0: I'm the I'm the I'm the character actor. I would say
3: <laughs>
1: on
0: the on the show. yeah, but yeah, it, hey, it yeah, is seven thirty p.m. See you.
1: Great, great, great to see you, Bill. You are just in from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yes. we Where uh, our good friend we have, we have a lot of great union supporters, among them the United Steelworkers. Uh, and Leo Gerard, the president of the United Steelworkers, they are uh, they're shaking things up in Pittsburgh right now, right?
0: Yeah. So I just I, I've been traveling all over the place for the show, and this week we were in Pittsburgh, where the steelworkers who are working in towns like Braddock and, and, and places where like there's st- there's still a steel industry around Pittsburgh uh, significantly. Yeah, yes, I mean, yeah. plants dating back to Andrew Carnegie, right? Like real old steel stuff, and they've been there for a long time, and um, their companies. Are enjoying a huge boon thanks to Trump. Um, no one, you know, there there are few people in this world who can say specifically that, like, Trump actually did something for me. And steel workers are one of them. He he, he has boosted uh, the price of American steel with his tariffs. He's boosted the purchasing because he's, he's raised the defense budget. I mean, this is just everything that steel kind of wanted, uh, the steel industry wanted, it got from Trump. And you would think that that would make the steel workers pretty thrilled, Right. Um, but they're actually in the middle of a contract negotiation, and they're finding that the companies um, are not giving them. They say their piece of those new profits. So it's 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 an amazing political irony because, of course, we think of Trump uh, flipping states like Pennsylvania, thanks to guys like union guys, a lot of them, and and, and definitely sort of that working class vote, right? Mm-hmm. So I talked to a steelworker for the show, uh, a couple of them, and it was on. It was, it's actually on YouTube now. You can look it on YouTube. Um, voted for Trump. Uh, wanted Trump's tax cuts. Wanted Trump's tariffs. Was into all this stuff, and now says, uh, you know, we got um taken take advantage of. I'm but it, screwed. But he, yeah. But he says it in a more sort of uh, Pittsburgh steelworker kind of way that uh-huh. I can't say yeah. on your show. Yes. Um. Yeah. But this idea that 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 <laughs> basically the companies aren't passing it down, and they might go on strike, a historic strike, already all over the country. Uh, locals have voted. In favor of, of going on strike mm-hmm. against U.S. steel. Um, so, at this moment, where the companies are making all this extra money thanks to the president's policies, which you know may not be good long term for American steel, but right now are good, um, they might shut the whole thing down because they're trying to get a piece of that money. And 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 there's a betrayal fear uh, feeling that right now hasn't yet reached the president, based on my anecdotal evidence. But they're starting to wonder why the president hasn't come in and told their
1: bosses to give them their chunk of this money. But in a sense, it is a classic Trumpism, and look at the tax cuts, for example. Again, you know, he promised the biggest tax cut in history, which it was not But da-da-da-da. And most people didn't feel the impact of the tax cuts, Mm -hmm. didn't really. They might have gotten a little bit of money, but not enough to make any difference. Most of the money went to the very top. So with the steel industry, getting more profits, that's going to... The shareholders and the owners, not to the workers. That's right. They
0: talked about this deal. I mean, the quote I have from this guy named Eric, um, he was a steel worker, he was talking about how, you know, that's not what the tax cuts were for. Like, I mean, they—you think about these massive corporate tax cuts that were part of the Republican tax bill. Something I they're incredibly proud of doing. They feel like they brought the tax level to a competitive level uh, internationally. And you know, guys, you know, interesting thing when we talk to guys like steel workers, uh, factory workers, farmers they know a whole lot about stuff that i know nothing about like how to do stuff with their hands and build things and create things but also like how the wto works how trade tariffs work i mean this is their business right so yeah, they understand yeah. this stuff so when it comes to like the corporate tax rate <laughs> they understand it so when the president cut the corporate tax rate they said oh yeah okay that makes sense i get i get, I get what we're doing here we're going to boost the company's profits we're going to we're going to you know energize some stuff here in this republican kind of way of doing that great so i'm so excited for when I get my raise because in the last contract in it, while steel was in a sort of darker period, um, the unions were asked, please take a pay freeze, take some benefit changes so we can keep these companies afloat. And they agreed to it. And so now the new contract coming around, and the companies, according to the union guys, are not offering them. Uh, mm-hmm. the same windfall that they're getting from the from the tax bill. So yeah. and it's amazing. And, and and I think a good way to nationalize the story is we are seeing increasing polling and increasing conversation from just looking how Republicans are campaigning on the trail, that this tax bill has actually not been such a great campaign device not, as they had
1: hoped. Not at all. And they discovered that, remember, in Pennsylvania again, eighteen with Connor Lamb Correct. and Rick, whatever his name was, right? Connor Lamb's district. Steel Country, Pennsylvania. Steel country, And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And they thought uh, – they, they even ran for like a week some ads about the tax cut, and then they realized it was it was a loser, a big loser, and they dropped those ads. And they haven't talked about the tax cut bill since. And, well, they're in deep trouble when I'm sitting in on the backyard
0: next to the pool of this steel worker. It's got American dream kind of house, right? Ma- manufacturing job, house is full, he's got a motorcycle, he's got his pool back in the, in the backyard, his kids are great, they get to travel – um, he's earned a lot with his manufacturing gig. And he, out front, he's got a POW MIA flag. Uh, he's got Trump-Pence stuff all over his gun safe in his garage. Mm. And I'm sitting in the backyard, and he's talking about how Trump's tax cuts screwed him. That is not a good sign for Republicans. No,
1: right. And by the way, Leo Girard is one of the smartest and one of the toughest labor leaders in the country, too. I mean, he's— he's, he's I, d- I don't know him, but, yeah. I didn't know whether you interviewed him or not, but— uh...
0: Yeah. No, no, no. We yeah. we no. We and, kept this all to Pittsburgh people. So one thing about our show places. is we try to keep that. Like, we try. We kept this very, very local. So 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 you're going to yeah. see what it's like to live in be, be a Pennsylvania <laughs> steel worker. It's like a mini documentary. It's quite. I mean, I, I had a great crew on this one. Uh, Seth Dalton was a producer, amazing guy. People should watch it. And I think it is. It's a political story that is not being talked about at all because of everything going on in Washington. It's a very big deal. Right. right. But it is right. huge for a huge sector of our economy and for the exact people that Trump
1: said he was going to help are the ones you are upset right right. now. Right, and that's why it does have national national implications, and we should be watching that. Meanwhile, here in Washington, D.C., there's another story uh, that uh, you, I'm sure, uh, (laughs) may know about no matter where you were, and that is it looked like a, a week ago an easy glide path to confirmation for Brett Kavanaugh. Now, not so much, right? Now up in the air, and everything is pending on a hearing next week, Senate Judiciary Committee, where they can get Dr. Christine Ford and Brett Kavanaugh both to tell their story. Uh, how do you see it playing out? Well,
0: Bill, we have to start out by saying, like, I have seen a few of these kinds of confirmation fights in my time in D.C. for, you know, more than a decade. You've been in D.C. for a lot longer than that. <laughs> Certainly, I've you've seen a lot of I've been around
1: for a lot these. longer than that. Not in D.C. for two decades. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, okay. you, but you've seen a lot of these confirmation yeah. battles. Oh, yeah.
0: This is might be the biggest roller coaster, craziest thing I've seen in quite a long time because it has gone not just from uh, smooth sailing. Right, we started out with being okay. Democrats can't do anything. Let's just you know they're just going to grind through this thing. To the allegations, uh, the horrible allegations first emerging that leads to Republican panic. We start seeing people like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, you know, putting their distance. You know, you know Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins getting back out of there. Then, like, a day or two goes by, obviously the messaging operation, the pro-capital messaging operation fires up. Those Republicans come home, get back on board. Now we have a situation where they may just, like, force the thing, even though the woman that they have been saying has to testify has maybe agreed to testify. Um this is a crazy roller coaster, and I just don't think it sells anybody on uh, quality government operation. Like, I mean, regardless of how you feel about the uh, about the allegations, which is a, which is a big regardless, by the way. These are really tough, terrible um, allegations, and it's it, you know it's a very important story to be told. Um, but let's say you don't want to talk about it. Re- regardless of that, you are looking at a process that just seems absurd on its face. Like, it just we swing back and forth. Every day he's definitely getting in. He's not. I don't know. Let's let's hear from her. Let's not hear from her. Let's let's vote. Maybe we should wait. I don't know. It goes back and forth like this, and no one is talking about the actual nominee, and no one is talking about the fact that it's a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. We're right. talking about three extra days. Yeah. And they just simply find that, that, like like this, this is what comes down to political partisan wins now.
1: Well, I'll ask you about that. So the, at the present, you're right. It changes minute by minute. It's unbelievable. Um. So. It's somewhat risky to say, here's the way things stand right now. But let's do that anyhow. Oh. The way things stand right now, as I see it, is Republicans have said the hearing is Monday. Mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh is going to be there. And you are going to be there. You, Christine Ford, are going to be there. Or, too bad, uh, this is your one shot. Now, that's that's still their official position. Mm-hmm. We, they have to to her attorney saying, I'm more than willing to testify next week for whatever reasons Monday Is a no go, doesn't work. But we could talk about another day, maybe a Thursday. But I'll be there and I'll tell my story. So, my question to you is what on what base, what principle at all can Republicans insist it has to be on Monday? Why can't it be Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? I mean, isn't that almost an impossible position to hold and defend? I don't think it looks very good. I mean, the thing is, we're dealing with it with a strange situation in
0: which in which what has happened is a party that has been having trouble with uh, women voters right along led by a president that is not um, a real uh, leader when it comes to men treating women kindly. um, This party now has created a uh, there's a the partisan war is between, quote, delay and just fast-tracking this nomination. That's what it is, right? That's it. So the fact that we're talking about allegations um, against a potential lifetime appointee, the Supreme Court, which would be uh, a guy that has now uh, lied. If if Christine Ford is right, Kavanaugh has to be lying, and the reverse has to be true, obviously. Um, the fact that they can't wait a couple of days is because if they wait a day, it will be seen as giving the Democrats something, right? Right. The, the Democrats that the, from the very beginning were like, "Hey, let's review this guy's uh, documents. Let's find out what's going on with this guy. Let's uh, have a long series of hearings and questions to, to you know, to ask and answer. Um, let's uh, let's let's review these allegations. You Let, know, let's Which, take time to get it right. Right. Uh, um, the narrative from the from the Republican Party is that, is that is that this allegation was sprung on them at the last minute. Um, which to them clearly suggests that they think it's not true, right? So it's sprung on the last minute to slow things down and prevent this from happening. Um, And so what they're going to do is that they're going to do everything to to try and stop it from being slowed down because that's how they view winning this. And I think that that might be a huge miscalculation because I think that if you have this person who's willing to testify on Thursday and they're like, sorry, Thursday is three days too late, I just don't see how that works out for them two or three weeks later they can go to their base and say hey we didn't delay we did what the Democrats didn't want to do we we rushed this thing but then the, the follow-up question is okay but so do you know if the allegations are true? Oh well, we never talked to a woman so I mean how are we gonna know right, right? I, mean,
1: I mean you know what I'm saying so then and, and it just seems like it just we, seems we, like a very untenable position right and you have to look at this um, uh, the fact is this is all happening in the timing and the context of the midterm elections. So if that happens, they're going to have to go to this in a year where there are more female candidates than ever before. There are more women active in politics. Than just a ever women's before. march entirely. The women's march entirely. I mean, three, four million, million marching, women marching the streets all has, over the world. It hasn't stopped. They're still marching. Now Antarctica. they're running. Now they're running. Exactly. Right? That's great. And 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 go before these women and say, we just put a man who's accused of sexual assault on the Supreme Court without finding out whether it was true or not or at least giving the woman her day in court or yeah. her day in the senate
0: right you know uh yeah i mean i this is this is my point is that the the politics are all mixed up here because they think it, like it's not i mean they don't all think this but you know plenty of commentators on the right are talking about it not being true or even if it is it doesn't matter blah blah, blah. like this whole thing we're moving down the road on without even getting all the facts out and it's quite funny because you know when it was um you know when when it was, Al Franken, for example, they were like, you know, just resign immediately, right? They're like, like yeah, you know, right. we don't we don't need to hear from anybody. We don't, we don't need. The facts. Um, and we the Democrats need. came around and said and said that he should resign. I mean, I'm not. It's hard to make comparisons here. This story is very different than other. This Kavanaugh story is very different than, than other stories. I I find I get kind of annoyed about the comparison to Anita Hill, where Anita Hill was. The, enti- the entire U.S. Senate essentially ignoring the pleas of a woman about an adult man in her own workplace several years earlier. This is a much different story. Working it out is a different story. Figuring out what it means to have something happen in high school is a different story. But the idea that not that, even hearing a, it at all is a political win, it's also, that seems like a very, very dangerous game for the, the, uh, the GOP to play.
1: It's also a different time. we, we have, Oh, that's correct. You know, in terms of... Ju- Certainly the Me Too movement, but just in general, since 1991, one would think that we've come a long way in terms of taking sexual harassment and sexual assault claims more seriously. By the way, uh, Evan and I will be—Evan as a friend of Bill the entire hour—we'll be joined by Melanie Sloan uh, in the next half hour. Melanie Sloan, who herself was a victim uh, and has come forward as a victim of sexual harassment uh, by a senior member of the United States Congress— uh, and uh, had a very powerful op-ed about that in The Washington Post yesterday and was one of seven women who sent a open letter to Congress yesterday saying you had better you members of Congress had better get your act together too uh, on this issue. So um, uh, Evan, the president was out in uh, Las Vegas Las Vegas. Or Las, hey. Or, hey, here he is <laughs> heres in uh, Nevada. Hey. Uh, and he went to uh, his his big it was a Fox News rally basically right okay so as soon as the rally's over you know um, we'll we'll hear both clips because first of all he tells the entire rally sort of in a restrained way we're just going to let this thing play itself out
3: so we'll let it play out and I think everything's going to be just fine this is a high quality person
1: now as you pointed out He does have some problems of his own in the score, and so White House aides have managed, for the most part, to keep him and his comments pretty restrained for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So then, as soon as the rally's over, he walks across the stage, didn't have to go anywhere else, right there on the stage, sits Sean Hannity with the Fox cameras waiting for this exclusive interview with the president immediately after, right in front of the whole crowd still, he does this interview, where he can't—now he loosens up a little bit, and he's got to go after— Christine Ford with a little smear. Here he is.
3: I think it's a very sad situation. He's an outstanding person. And frankly, Sean, to see what's going on is is just very, very sad. You say, why didn't somebody call the FBI 36 years ago? I mean, you could also say, when did this all happen? What's going on? Uh, To take a man like this and be smirched. Now, with that being said, let her have her say, and let's see how it all works out. But I don't think you can delay it any longer. So she's a she's she's lying and didn't do anything about it.
0: But let her have her say. Yeah. Right. uh, right. Yeah. This is just not smart politics. I don't care who you're for. What is that? What in the hell is that idea? Liar. Let's hear from her. What? (laughs) Yeah. And then he says,
4: (laughs) why did you people do?
0: I've been on the road and I come back here.
4: What are you people doing here? (laughs) What are you doing, Bill? It hasn't gotten any better. (laughs) Peter, what are you doing? It hasn't gotten any
1: better. All right, why well. didn't she call the FBI? I mean, she was a 15-year-old teenager. It's like I said this earlier. It's like saying, why didn't she pick up the phone and call the attorney general at home, right? Right. Why didn't she call the president on his private line at home? Well, look, the answer to that is very obvious. One we know that uh
0: the public perception of the uh, uh, and public, you know, uh acceptance of these stories uh, was very different back then. It didn't even it's tell her parents. It's, very, it's she... very different when I was young, and yeah, I, yeah, that was not 36 yeah. years ago. Um, and, you know, so one, that's not a possibility, right?
1: Uh, it, but, but it just shows how far, how he doesn't have a clue. Well,
0: but 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 I think that there's something that that, that is actually very valuable for the listeners and everybody who's watching this, which is that what is at the fundamental of this is this idea that this is somehow... Um, the timing of it means it's less credible, right? If you read BuzzFeed, there's a story in BuzzFeed by Paul McLeod, who's a congressional reporter at BuzzFeed, in which he talks about this uh, this idea that this that this that this allegation was sprung out of nowhere, came out of nowhere, right? Um, it's not true. Reporters had heard about it weeks yeah. and weeks ago. There was due diligence reporting going on. We all know that this stuff happened in the Senate. You know, a lot of senators have argued that. Dianne Feinstein didn't handle it correctly, but regardless, her office had it and was looking at it, right, uh, without weighing in on any of that stuff. So because there's this fake news, to be perfectly honest, about the timing of this allegation, it is leading Republicans, in my view, down the road uh, to just completely dismissing this entire conversation because they are like, oh, well, look, of course, at the last possible second. But it's not right. what actually happened. It's been going on for a long, long time um weeks and weeks people people have known about this i i mean people have to read the buzzfeed story but this buzzfeed story uh, paul McLeod you can go find it very easily um this exp- this puts the end the journalistic end to this fabrication that this was sprung on all of us at nowhere just cuz you didn't hear about it Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean right. people who were involved in the process didn't hear about it. In fact, they, they, they did, they did hear about it. And so when people start talking about the idea, this is just some, what is how, how did this come out of nowhere? How can you believe so? Of course, at the last second, it's just not true. And this is what leads guys like Trump um, and other Republicans that have been out there on the hustings saying similar things to say this, to just go out there and say, uh, you, we don't have to believe her because because the timing was wrong. Right. Yeah. And like. Also, wrong about that, not that, I'm sorry, I, I'm just getting back to all this, so excuse me for ranting, right. but the other part of it is, how many times in the past year or so have we heard a story from a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, and it's true? Yeah, Like, right. what is Les Moonves doing today? He's at home because a t- 10, 15-year-old story was true. Right. And what is Harvey Weinstein doing? What, you know, what are all these people doing? They're gone. Because the old stories were true. Right. None, so of I,
1: those, none of those happened just yesterday. So they time doesn't
0: mean it's not true.
1: Right. Timing Good doesn't point. mean it's not Excellent true. Point. Like yeah.
0: this is just—it's just—it's just one of the craziest spin jobs I've seen in a long time.
1: That's But all. so uh, we. But do, I have no thoughts about it, Peter Ogmer. Uh, right. We do know. <laughs> we do know what Les Moonves is doing. He's <laughs> counting as 120 million dollars. Correct. Yeah, I mean that's, that's true. What Les is but doing. he's not
0: running a no. TV network anymore. <laughs> no.
1: Uh, before we uh, take a break here, I do have to ask you, so by the way, uh, the Robert Mueller investigation, the witch hunt, right? Oh, oh that's is still happening is too? It's still going on, yes. Really we learned I learned yesterday it. that uh, Michael Cohen, yeah. who made the deal with the New York attorneys who are looking into his, uh, in fact, he's pleaded guilty there in, uh, for, on eight counts of um, paying off a lot of women at Donald Trump's direction, among other things, and not reporting of his campaign contributions. but. Meanwhile, he part of the plea deal is he's been talking to Robert Mueller uh, about everything, po- including possible connections to, um, to between Donald Trump and some of the Russian oligarchs that Michael Cohen was talking about building a tower in Moscow, all kinds of stuff. Uh, trouble for trouble for Donald Trump. Well, for the first part,
0: I have to say what this really means is we're going to be subjected to more of these like terrible audio recordings that Michael Cohen made. Oh, they're, yeah, I mean, they right. I mean they're they're interesting yeah. recordings, but they're recording quality. Omarosa and Michael Cohen, yes, not they're... audio engineers. No, no. So we're going to have to hear more of these like <laughs> the phone's all the way back here and I'm talking <laughs> like we're going to hear we're to, we're had to hear more of that. Um yeah, bad. Bad for the president. Bad for the president. Nobody wants their consigliere spilling his guts uh to the Former FBI director slash super
1: prosecutor digging into their financial life. Right, but so with Michael Cohen, when you when you think about the people who've already p- reached a plea deal, right? Okay, yeah. it started with um, Papadopoulos, I think was first, uh-huh. and then Michael Flynn, yeah. and then Rick Gates, yeah. and then Michael Cohen, and now Paul Manafort too. And uh, the other guy that was the financial guy? Yeah, Weisberg. Weisberg, yeah, Weisberg. Right, but that's the New York attorneys. Sure, but- But it's all part of the same mix, right? My question to you is, who's next? Oh, I have no idea. Are you kidding me? Donald Trump Jr., Roger Stone- all right, I'm not going to stand here and say who's going to be <laughs> next.
0: But I am going to say that we can guarantee there's going to be more terrible audio
1: recordings. Okay, we'll, we'll give you that All point. I'm saying is All, this is— this I'm is... saying is think about the people who haven't been hit yet and who were, like, at the meeting, right, uh-huh. on Uh-huh. in Trump Tower. Yeah. Donald Jr. called the meeting. Jared Kushner was there, those two. And then Roger Stone was always on the sidelines, not at the meeting. And then Donald Trump himself. It doesn't seem like uh,
0: Mueller has slowed down— Slowed down at, at any at any level, and you know, there's just so, it's just it's just on it's just never this thing is just ongoing, 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 and rolling up all these people, and it just is a remarkable thing to think about how all the stories about Trump were like you know loyalty was his thing, he kept these people around, the best people, and these guys were loyal to him. Oh, yeah. and, you know, right? They had this like. It's funny because like they had this sort of like fake like Goodfellas kind of vibe to them, like are sort of like yeah, I'm this New York guy, I got all these, I got my guys around me, and I got Jokey and Lefty and 2 Talk or whatever. But then, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But then it turned out to be actual Goodfellas in the fact that as soon as any heat comes down at all, they all flip on each other. You know what I mean? Like it starts out as like as like the beginning of Goodfellas, where everybody's like, yeah, we're together to the end, you know, ride or die, we love each other. Um, we're making sauce in jail, all that stuff, and then as soon as the real
1: heat comes down, they're all just like killing each other or flipping on each other. Yeah, and Donald Trump praising those that didn't flip, and you know he'd be the first one to flip if he got in, you know, with hot water too. So. I don't know. I mean, it's his dad, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
0: saying it's not. I'm just saying it's it's not a very good situation for the president to be in. It does this this it just, just does not seem like he gets any good news on the Mueller front. I I am just
4: interested to see if Donald Trump Jr. does get indicted or does get looked at very seriously for Donald Trump to have to say, Donald Trump Jr., never heard of the guy. Right. Never heard of the guy. He's really
0: my number two son. Yeah. Yeah,
4: Apparently he was a Bob Dole staffer. Uh (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show.
1: And here we go on a Friday, Friday, September 21, indeed, The Bill Press Show. Evan mcmarr uh, uh here as a friend of Bill. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, sadly, Melanie Sloan will not be able to join us uh, today. Um, we will uh, hopefully hear her story next week. She's been very much out in the forefront of, uh, of women who have been victims of sexual harassment. She herself came forward uh, with her story um, about... Um, uh, her experience with a senior member of the United States Senate uh, and, I'm sorry, the United States Congress, mm-hmm. the House, uh, and she uh, penned an op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday uh, alleging misconduct will change a woman's life, um, speaking about how how difficult it is for women to, to come forward. Which Incredible been, op-ed. Which, which we were talking about before the... Um, uh, just before the break, there are a lot of reasons we've heard from so many women why how difficult it is to come forward and what they face when they do. And in fact, look at Christine Ford, who's had to move from her home because she's getting death threats. And
0: I can't imagine it. Yeah, I mean, because it, immediately, immediately, what happens is people start peering and poking into your life and try to find ways that you know some behavior that you something something that you've done suggests that you aren't you know a, you know you know a victim or whatever or that doesn't count or. I mean, it's a heinous it, thing. I mean, I'm I now, you know, like everyone else in America, I hope, have been spending a lot of time talking to women that I know about their lives. And I've been doing that for about, you know, since this stuff sort of happened. And, right. you know, you learn every day just things that, you know, I think that the stuff that, you know, women just sort of slough off a lot of times in the course of, the, of a week or a day. Um are things that like I know that uh, you know men would completely lose their minds if it happened to them, right, right, and 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 this and that's that's the baseline they have to have, and so when you get to these these things that are that, that that's outlier behavior, and then people have to relive it to go through this whole process, and then you have to go to a situation if you're this uh, this Ford, um, where you know you're going into a place where this is it's not really a court of law, like it's like you have to sort of believe that the Senate, the United States Senate is a place where like. A sexual harassment or sexual assault victim, sexual assault allegers story is going to be heard fairly um, when the only time you can really think of that happening in the most high
1: profile way, it wasn't like this is a very, very difficult thing to ask somebody to do. Well, well, think about that. Yesterday, the chairman of the committee, Chuck Grassley, said that um, Brett Kavanaugh testified privately and we have no reason not to believe him. So Chuck, before this any hearing next week, Chuck Grassley yesterday said, "I believe Brett Kavanaugh. Basically, she's a liar. I believe Brett Kavanaugh." Before the hearing, the chairman said that. So I, mm-hmm. it's certainly a stacked deck. Well, what was remarkable about that too is that sort of the, sort of the biggest complaint that
0: um, Republicans had about this process at the very beginning was all these Democrats who came out before we even heard Kavanaugh's name, saying they're going to be opposed to whoever Trump nominated. Um you know, which is because Trump had a list of names already and all of them on the list were unacceptable to many Democrats for obvious reasons because they would not have been on the list unless they would agreed
1: to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't have the answer to that one way or the other, but I but I mean that I but, was his but, promise' I mean, as a candidate
0: but 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 there's but there's, you know there were there were various reasons and Republicans hated this they got, they made a lot of hay yeah. in their own. Um, in their own circles with this idea that Democrats had already decided, and then now comes around to this allegation they've already decided.
1: Right. Uh, You made one point there I just wanted to reinforce, which is that we have to remember the Senate Judiciary Committee is not a body of law. It's not the same as going in front of a court and having to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that something happened. True. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an op-ed in the New York Times about that this morning where the Senate has to consider, among other things, the court and the legitimacy of the court and the, and the reputation of the court. And if somebody's got a big cloud over their head, that's sufficient reason enough, perhaps, right, to say that person doesn't belong on the Supreme Court.
0: The, the, the best part about this is that it, there's a lot of arcane stuff that happens in Washington, Stuff that is, you have to sort of be a real sort of like, you know, politics head to really follow it very closely. It's sort of almost purposefully complicated sometimes. Things like taxes and budgets and very important things, but it can be sometimes hard to follow. But this is 100% directly exactly what happens when you vote or don't vote. That what's that, that, that what's happening right now is that there are... um a bunch of uh, there's a majority Republican Senate because of people not voting or voting or voting how they voted in 2016. And then there is a uh, there's a there's a they have one job to do, which is to vote yes or no on a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court um, to vote for a person that's not that, that doesn't really match um, with what the public says that they wants in a judge uh, in and in a, in a justice and it's all happening so close to an election it gives people a perfect opportunity i think to see exactly what it is that voting can actually do sure. like if you don't yeah. like this if you don't like what's going on right now it could be not happening right there is like an alternate reality you know with the you know the episode but, of sliders yeah, or something yeah, yeah. where people voted in 2016 and this isn't happening right right and 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 this isn't this 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 is one of those things where it's like you can see exactly what politicians do Right. and the way they the way they respond to this woman, the way they respond to Brett Kavanaugh, the way they respond to the president, the way they respond to this stuff, this is what's going to happen and continue to happen if they stay in power.
1: Right. By the way, um, on that point, NBC News last night uh, did a little little survey they did of um, what people think about Brett Kavanaugh, right? Yeah. First of all, I'm amazed that many Americans know about Brett Kavanaugh, but I mean, but it's just, it's gotten a lot of attention. I just didn't think up to that vote. 38% of Americans, according to the NBC poll, say they oppose Brett Kavanaugh. 34% say that they would support him. It's the lowest support of, that any Supreme Court nominee has had since they've been taking this poll. Even lower than Robert Bork, right? Right. Well, so, did they
0: have polls back then, Bill? Did you, guys, what did you What did you guys like go out and- Stitching on it. I was just, well, knocking into chisel, into marble. Don't ask me what it was, but <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I'm just I don't know what that is. I was alive when yeah. Bork was around. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just right. started and I went with it. I started when I went with it. But, uh, Peter, yeah. it, Folks, fine, so I read right?
1: the poll numbers for Robert Bork and I fell off
3: Look my dinosaur.
1: <laughs> 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 I don't know. I or think maybe it, even for, Clarence Thomas. I for uh, Clarence Thomas. I don't know. Probably for Clarence Thomas.
0: I don't know about polls. I don't know about any of this stuff. Like I said, it's like, you know, uh when conservatives turned out and voted, they have gotten the Senate that they wanted, right. which is the and fact that like, so the Supreme Court will be maintained and, and, and pushed in their direction for many, many
1: years. And right. um, so, so this kind is, of stuff is happening. So there is a message. You're totally right to people that ought to wake up. This is what happens when you vote. This, elections have consequences. If you don't like what you see right now, you don't have to wait two years to make— to make a change, there's a chance on November 6th, right? If you're not registered, register to vote, and if you and then get out to vote, you have been out uh, traveling around the country on the campaign trail. We're, you know, in the heat of the midterms right now. What what's your feel? What's your what do you pick up about what's going on? Donald uh, Trump still, yeah, as of yesterday, still says it's going to be a red wave.
0: Um, well, Donald Trump, I mean, he's president, he's going to say that, but he's also been campaigning quite a bit, um, yeah. which is interesting because he's, his popularity is going down and down and down, and yet there are still many Democrat, uh, Democrats. There there's so many Republicans who want to stand on stage with him, um, which is sort of uh, maybe politically risky to do. Um, on the reverse side, the, the, the Democrats have been sort of spooling up their operation for the final push towards the, uh, for the general election post-Labor Day, and the sort of star of their show... Um, is a guy named President Barack Obama, um, who obviously made most of his headlines when he came out in his first speech like 10 days or so ago, maybe 12 or something like that. When he comes out, and he, when he goes to the University of Illinois. He gives this speech where he, you know, attacks Trump directly and talks about, you know, why you say Nazis are bad? Yeah. Um, but that's not actually what Obama is doing for the election. What he's doing for the election is traveling around the country uh, to sort of swingy areas... Tougher areas, um, and giving speeches, raising money, uh, and pushing this uh, this idea that people need to vote. And he's doing it. He he he's doing the the Republican uh, the, the uh, Republican. My God, I'm like losing my mind. there the, he's doing the Democratic sales pitch, the final closing argument sales pitch. And the closing argument sales pitch is actually not about Trump. Really, it's about health care. It's about um, t- this tax bill which is remarkable that like not only can can Republicans not run on it Democrats can run on it apparently yeah uh, and um, he's talking about you know all sorts of stuff that are going on in the government, the environment climate and he's doing it in places that are Republican places. Um, where I saw him and I did a story on him uh, on the trail was in Anaheim California. In, in in Orange County which you know as 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 you know Bill better than anybody a bastion of the of the Republican party in that state for years and years we used to call it be,
1: behind the orange curtain yeah i call uh, it, i call it the orange uh, wall and Somebody oh, corrected okay. me on go. tv it's yeah. orange curtain right it's yeah, supposed right. to be orange curtain yeah <laughs> uh
0: anyway so he's out there in, in this republic like he's not going just to rally the base of his people he's out there in this republican sort of leaning area giving this speech to a bunch of of campaign volunteers Firing them up because Democrats are running um, in almost all these seats, you know, all over the country, and they're running in California. They're running everywhere, and you know they have
1: a good shot at some of these seats. There are four seats in Orange County that could maybe five that could flip parts of Orange County, uh, all that could flip from red to blue, starting with Dana Rohrbacher. And so he
0: brings he brings so Obama
1: comes out and he brings this
0: this Democratic message home in a way he nationalizes this message in a way um, that. You know, Obama's a very effective speaker, obviously, but it's just like it's interesting where he's going, what he's doing. He's going to be going to Ohio on behalf of uh, Cordray, running for governor over there. Um, He's going to go around a few other places, but it's it's not going to be big base rallies. He's out there talking to this in the swing areas, being like, hey, swing voter. Remember this that I remember me, what I did? Remember how I am? Remember what this is about? Because I think that the sense that I'm getting from Obama is he thinks that they can flip those voters um,
1: because of Trump, essentially. Right. Very smart. And, and what, they're, what they're really counting on is turnout, turnout, turnout. And turnout is based on enthusiasm level. Uh, energy level, excitement level, and that's one thing that Obama can deliver. Right, that's exactly right. And they're
0: not just getting on turnout, but they think that they can win on almost all these issues. I mean, one of the more remarkable things that I've seen in politics
1: recently has been... But the issues will drive the turnout.
0: Yeah. Obviously. There are these guys in the campaign trail, if, uh, like like Donnelly and things, like in these red states, and they do this stuff when they go to their campaign speeches where they stop at the beginning of the speech and they say, uh, if anybody here has a pre-existing condition, raise your hand, right? Right. And like, of course, a lot of hands go up and he, the guy just goes like, well, that's the whole like you want to lose your insurance, <laughs> you know, like it's it's I mean, uh, you know, it's a very, very effective campaigning tactic. And the Democrats just sort of, like sort of have all these places they can go. And Obama was able to do that, too. I mean, I mean, I mean, one of the more remarkable things from Obama's first speech in Illinois was that he just sort of embraced this Medicare for all idea that 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 the, I, that I the left is talking yes. about. Right. Because they think they can just win on healthcare, they think they, 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 like these kind of things are clicking along for them, <clears throat> and so Obama's bringing it home in a way that only Obama can, which is that kind of route, like like you said, pumping energy into it, but also very clearly saying he, he's like, look, I talked about Trump once, you heard what I think about Trump, that's that. Now let's talk about what we're actually going to run on, and that's fixing healthcare, um, getting the tax situation uh, in a way that you want it, American voter. Making, you know, maybe maybe some of that infrastructure that they've been promised for the past, I don't know, three election cycles. Um, you know, this stuff is stuff that Democrats can still run on
1: because it
0: hasn't been done or been done in a way that
1: they don't let that, that voters don't like. Right. They almost don't have to make Trump the issue because Trump is the issue anyway. Right. I mean, it, it, there's almost no way, I think, that people don't see the midterms as a referendum on Donald Trump. You I mean, that's, I think that's probably true.
0: I, th- I mean, I think that's probably right. Just just because I mean, th- we've all for- seen many of these midterms before, and that's 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 usually how
1: they're seen. And first of all, he says too, you know, if I get impeached, it's going to be your fault because you don't get out and vote. I mean, he keeps making it about me, me, me. But if
0: you ask people out in the in the in the road, like you talk about Dana, Dana, Dana Roebucker, for example, yeah. his um, his opponent is Harley Rouda, a uh, a, you know, just like a businessman from. Uh, Anaheim area, or Orange County area, and I interviewed him for this story about what he's running on, and about this thing. I'm like, oh, so you're, I mean, he's running against Dana Rohrabacher, so I figured the entire campaign was like, Trump, Trump, this is Dana Rohrabacher, Trump's best friend, Trump, and he's like, no, I I mean, what I really want to talk about the most is that, like, we don't have to be as divided as a country. People really hate that in my district, how divided the country is, and, like, I just talk about the idea that, you know, look at a guy like Obama, we were more unified in not that long ago. Um people like that a lot and they want to hear about things like healthcare care and stuff like that. Um, so I mean, even in these even in the, even in what you would imagine is the trumpiest conceivable district like like Dana Robacher, the candidate is at least saying he's not that's not his focus. I don't know
1: what their ads or mailers or anything look like, but that's what they're saying right um, two things about it. One is that uh, Trump in effect, has succeeded. In one aspect, where Barack Obama could not, he has made Obamacare popular, right? Obamacare is probably more popular now than it was. I mean, apparently, Obamacare is popular. I mean, according to the polls I saw on the plane last night,
0: Obamacare is popular, uh, and Republican tax cuts are unpopular.
1: Yeah, right. Now, who would have thunk? I, right? Yeah it's it's a strange it, it, it's, it's a, a strange world. Right. Upside. And the other thing is, and you you, you noted this, uh, that I find it remarkable. You and I, two years ago, spending a lot of time following Bernie Sanders, talking Correct. about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Medicare for all was this big thing. He called it single payer, right? And this is what Hillary said. This is pie in the sky. You'll never deliver. How dare you? You shouldn't promise this. Barack Obama took that idea off the table when he was president. At that time, it was considered, this is the out-of-touch socialist left Bernie Sanders. Today, two years later, even Barack Obama is out there Preaching Medicare for all. Gavin Newsom is going to be the next governor of California. His number one issue: Medicare for all. You go. you Andrew Gillum in Florida. Medicare for all. You know Ayanna Pressley up in, in, in Massachusetts. Medicare for all. It's become the new Bible of the Democratic Party.
0: Well, you know, part in of less than two years. Well, I mean, part of what the president said when the 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 other president, the previous president, said during the Obamacare debate. Was that, look, we have to get somewhere before we can get as far as we want to go, basically. And, you know, if you do have a pre-existing condition, if you if you had that before, um, you're guaranteed health insurance now because the government came in and made a law that said right. you had to have it. They, um, they have to sell it to you. So it may make you know this sort of the the notion that was always talked about before is as soon as the government gets anywhere near this, uh, people are going to die in bread lines or whatever was the was the the thought that was levied against um, more universal health care in America prior to this. Um, you know those things are chipped away at, and so now people are able to talk about this stuff in a different way. And I I do you know obviously Bernie's campaign did change the conversation, but also sort of I think people living for years with. Uh, insurance that is regulated very tightly by the government and that insurance being something that might be better than what they had before. Um, costs are a real problem. So now you have to think we have a better insurance, but the costs are a real problem. Well, that's where you get something that dri- maybe drives you towards a conversation like Medicare for All, where that's more about cost containment. Um, the, you know, the Democratic Party is is somehow still moving and shifting itself around and shaping itself into a different kind of it's seemingly more progressive organization than it was just even a couple of years ago. And while they're doing that, they seem to also be able they to talk to voters in Orange County, California. It's, a, it's just a very interesting time with this, and this midterm is very interesting with this because you're going to have the one hand have victories uh, for the Medicare for All kind of crowd, like your 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 Casio and people like that, and you're also might have victories for guy like guys like Carly Rauta, Total. who like was a Republican. Uh, not too long ago, and now as a Democrat because he's so uh, dis- disgusted with things and is running uh, to be the replacement uh, of Dan- of Dana Rohrabacher.
1: Right, we call that the big tent party. That uh, uh, there's a room for a Connor Lamb and there's a room for an Ocasio Cortez. Right? But the stories has of course a room been for about a Joe Donnelly and there's a room for an Andrew Gillum. Right, I mean I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that's.
0: Well, the story has been this year early on is that when people were trying to tell the story of this midterm that there was a lot of Democrats who were supposed to have a problem with that. And I don't I'm not getting that sense out there. I'm, I'm getting a sense that people are just going to that people who are not interested in voting Republican are just going to vote Democrat. It's, right. There's not going to be a lot of like I'm staying home because this guy or this woman isn't as progressive as I want or I'm staying home because this guy or this woman is too progressive. Like I'm not getting the sense that that's happening.
1: Do you pick up? People who are turned off by the <clears throat> socialist wing of the Democratic Party, or that the Democratic Party is becoming too socialist. I, 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 I'm on because I have to tell. You, so I was on CBSN the other day. Hmm. Elaine Quijano was the host. Yeah. And she said, So, Bill, um, how do you view the socialist wing of the Democratic Party? I mean, she actually asked me that question. You know, I was trying to be polite, but I, I did start by saying, there's no socialist wing of the Democratic <laughs> Party. There's a progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I'm part of it, and I'm, it's winning. It's winning elections. But uh, do people like that even know what the word socialist means? You, I, you, know, it's so, I, to you me know,
0: it's so silly. But there are people out there who are running and saying that I'm a Democratic socialist, I'm a socialist. I mean, it's not the same as
1: saying— How many?
0: They're not—well, I don't know. There's Ocasio-Cortez. A, a, a yeah.
1: One. She's a cute. Huge... No, one. Quite. You can name one. That's <laughs> my point. No, there's a couple by of the...
0: them in, in Pennsylvania that, I mean, at the state level, there have been a few. But yes, I I get your point. You know, I, I largely get your point. Yeah. I mean, this... But also, I love how you're sh- all like. By the way, and coy, she and she like, is... I'm not a
1: socialist. Come on, Bill. Am I'm, I'm I re- not a socialist. Am I
0: right?
4: Re- Peter? Bill, you're pretty socialist.
1: I mean, uh... <laughs> I have never advocated the state ownership of oil companies <laughs> okay. or utility companies. I mean, or. No, the banks, Democratic. Sort of this the is actually I'm,
0: I'm doing this to no, b- I mean, it's, it's to tease you but insane. also because people I think it's... people
1: don't know their history. They don't people know what don't know socialism the word means. means. They don't know what they the do word do means. They do not know what the word That's means. means. That's correct. That's the answer. Progressive, know what the you know what progressive. Medicare for all is progressive. That's correct. Right. Free college tuition is, is 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 progressive. $15 minimum wage is progressive. And damn right, I'll fight for every one of those. That's but the don't thing. I mean, this, call me a socialist.
4: This not this is this new term, or not maybe not new, but the one that Bernie identified with of Democratic Socialist, really does just get back to what Democrats used to be.
0: That's right. I mean, th- this yeah. this is the thing. It's yeah. not like this has been. It's funny because I, I did a story about this for Vice okay. as well about how they were all of a sudden, Ocasio Cortez was constantly talked about on Fox and stuff. I yeah. actually interviewed Jeff Weaver, Bernie's campaign manager, at Bernie's. I mean, at Jeff Weaver's comic book shop. He has a comic book shop. Nice. In, yeah. In right. uh, in Northern Virginia. And I did this thing because, like, look, I covered Bernie for an entire entire year, yeah, right? right? And yeah. and and I saw everything that everybody said you about him. You were in our house at the big Bernie meeting. Right? I was in your house at the big Bernie meeting, hey. and I. F- Hey, there yeah. he is. Uh, by the way, Bill, has a very nice house. It was really nice. <laughs> yeah. You got that cool backyard. I love Carol. And
4: all the, all the, <laughs> we social- did talk
0: about the party. It was great. You had like, good food had, like hummus <laughs> and such there. It was very fun. All the socialist posters up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Bill's, he just has a map of planned nationalizing <laughs> of industries. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah.
0: But anyway, so. Uh, I was with Bernie okay. for a year and nobody talked like the like the nope. uh, the right wing never talked about like, oh, my God, a socialist. Look at this yeah, socialists right. coming. Socialists coming, folks. Yeah. Get scared of a socialist. They didn't talk about it because they liked that he was making Hillary have a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ocasio-Cortez comes along, yeah. who's going to be a backbencher in Congress. I mean, very powerful voice, very amazing new change in this country to have her in there. And young, new people in politics is great. But, like, there's also things like seniority. She's not going to come in there and be Speaker of the House. It means it's not going to happen. Like, right. um, they talk about her endlessly. Yeah. And so Weaver's talking about this whole thing. Well, Weaver's like, yeah, because, like, they might, they think we might actually win something this time.
1: Right. Good. Right. Uh, going to interrupt you right sure. there. Because, folks, you've got a big assignment over the weekend. Here's your homework over the weekend. Don't forget my new book. It is out. Trump Must Go, The Top 100 Reasons to Dump Trump and One to Keep Him. You can guess what that uh, num- number one to keep him is. But the most important point, if you go to our website, BillPressShow.com, Evan, you know there are a lot more than 100 reasons. So we made it possible. Uh, first of all, you can find out where to buy the book if you go to the website, BillPressShow.com. But also, you can add your own reasons. We have an interactive website, so people can we can keep adding it up. We're up to probably 150 by now. Add your own reasons why Trump Must Go. I put four new reasons of my own uh, up there yesterday, uh, and uh, be sure to check out reason number ninety-nine. That's my favorite reason why Trump must go. Reason number ninety-nine is because he doesn't have a dog. It's a good reason. You don't have a dog? You don't believe in do, do belong in the White House. Evan, great to see you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Where can people find you? Follow you. Tell, tell Vice Twitter. News tonight.
0: HBO 7:30 p.m. Eastern every weeknight. All right, you got to have a great weekend. Come
1: back and see us on Monday. We'll be this looking for you. Is the Bill Press show?
3: Hey,